What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today, well, we've got an interesting new moon, new book. It is not about witchcraft as far as things to do or to add to your practice, but it is in fact more of the history of witchcraft. And the title is Witchcraft, A History in 13 Trials by Marion Gibson. But what's special about this episode is not just that this is a history book, is that we have Marion with us. And we're going to start with talking to Marion first, and then we're going to go in and talk to you about how great this book is. So welcome, Marion. Hello, it's lovely to be here. We're so excited to have you. And for our listeners who maybe haven't heard of you before, you're a prolific author in the realm of witchcraft in history. Can you share a little bit about that journey for how you sort of ended up in this position? It's been a really long journey. Yeah, the older I get, the more I think, my goodness, I've been doing this quite a while, haven't I? And I suppose I've been writing about witches and magic for about 25 years now. I started off, I was quite interested in, in um, early modern culture. So, you know, Elizabethan Jacobean, early colonial, that sort of period when I was at university. And of course, part, as part of that, you encounter the idea of magic and witchcraft and you find it in literature and you find it in history. And at university, somebody gave me a book about witch trials and it had these basically newspaper accounts, Elizabethan newspaper accounts, which were about witch trials. And as part of them, they had the statements that accused people had made and that accusers had made about them. And I was just really interested in that. I thought to start with. I don't know why these people are saying what they're saying. I want to know why they're saying what they're saying. You know, why are they accusing each other of killing each other's cattle and harming each other's families? Um, since, you know, I don't believe that people could or would do that. Uh, I think that they might think that they could perhaps, but I don't believe that most people would want to do so. So at the time I was kind of working through this, you know, how does the world work and, and who are these people and what are they doing to each other? And of course, the other key thing is that most of them are women. And I thought, well, this is fascinating because we're hearing the voices of these Elizabethan women and they wouldn't have got heard any other way. You know, it's a tragic circumstance that, that we're allowed to hear from them because they're on trial as witches, but they couldn't read and write. They lived in obscure country villages. How else would you ever get to hear their voices? And one of the things they're doing as part of talking about witchcraft, they're not just talking about magic and having familiars and, and all of the things you would expect witches to, to, to confess to, if so they were. Uh, they're also talking about their daily lives. So, you know, they're telling us about their families. They're telling us about jobs that they've been doing during the course of the day. They're telling us about relationships with their neighbours and other people. And they're telling us about economic and social stuff that affects them. And I was so fascinated by these women's voices that I kind of got stuck <laughs> and ever since I've been wanting to know more about people who were accused those who did the accusing and the kind of stories they told about people who they thought were witches in their community and what happened to people and I really want to the book is this book is all about and so I guess my previous books have been kind of leading up to this it's about trying to give them their voices back their stories back and allow them to tell as much as possible in their own words what happened to them were there any trials that you left out? Were there oh. any maybe smaller <laughs> trials that you thought, you know, this is going to, but ah, now nah, I'm not going to put it in there. 
gosh, loads. I mean, yes, I could have created an entire library, <laughs> really. And I'm still writing about witches now. You know, I'm still going on to write um, further stories of some of these people. Yeah, loads and loads of stories. I mean, the one that I'm working on at the moment, that in Chapter 5, I talk about uh, an English witchcraft case from the era of the English Civil War, so the 1640s. And I tell the story of this woman, Bess Clark, and what happened to her in her little village in, in Essex County in, in eastern England. And actually, I've gone on to do more research on all the people around Bess. And then I realised, you know, well, the witch hunters who attacked her, they moved on to other counties around her. So Suffolk County, Norfolk. And I want to tell those stories next. So, yeah, there's there's an absolute I could do this stuff for the rest of my life and probably several lifetimes beyond it. There are so many stories. One of the things you talked about right here, but also right in the intro of the book, is wanting to share the stories to allow us to discover these witches for ourselves. Why did you choose to write the book and each trial in that sort of methodology? I wanted it to feel quite open, actually, so that readers could hear as much as possible from the accused people and, and make their own decisions. You can tell in the book that I have views about, you know, this is bad, <laughs> this persecution is bad, this is misogynist, this is wrong, etc. Um, but I did want to give the people who were accused as much space as possible to tell their stories. So where I could, I went to archives where their voices were recorded, you know, so I looked at their original statements and then I tried to build up the world around them. So I tried to think about, you know, what would they have seen when they went out of their house in the morning? What would it have smelt like? What would they have heard? Um, where would they have gone that day? What kind of things would they have needed to do? Um, who, who would they have known in the community and how would those people have felt about them? Where would they exactly live? Is it possible to go there? And in some cases, yes, it was possible to go there and, and find out more about them. So I tried to track down stuff like, um, you know, locations in the, in the more modern cases that I talk about in the second part of the book, where it's really about modern practitioners of witchcraft or people who are accused of witchcraft because they're thought to have some involvement in the occult so you know folk healers um spiritualist mediums people like that going right up into the 20th and 21st century i tried to find addresses for them i tried to have a sense of you know what they would have read what they would have bought at the supermarket what what they would have known about in their daily lives what were their pets called <laughs> all that kind of thing i thought the more detail i can give about these individuals and the more i can treat them as individual people rather than just representative examples of a big argument the better and I felt like that would offer the reader not only the opportunity to make up their own minds about what they thought was going on over this really long historical period and why these particular people are being selected for persecution but it would also allow them just to have this series of fascinating narratives and to go into different worlds you know different places across Europe North America Africa I wanted to take them on a bit of a journey and allow them to look around on the, the you know on the journey with me if you like and was it intentional when you started writing these that they would come out almost like folk tales about these witches or did that kind of develop as you were writing them? That's really interesting. I think that's a really nice thing of you to say, actually. Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to make it as as much like a story as 
possible, by which I mean a fictional story, not fictionalised, but as immersive as a folk tale or a novel or something like that. Because, I, you know, I, I, obviously I've worked as an academic for many years, but I think one of the problems with academic writing can be that it's sometimes very boring. Um, and sometimes it's too narrow and it doesn't look at the wider picture. And sometimes academics don't feel able to put emotion into what they are writing about. You know, they may feel angry. They may feel distressed by the stories that they're telling, but it's all got to be, oh, no, you know, we mustn't express any of that it's all got to be objective whatever that means and you know I'm as much in favor of, of objectivity as anyone but I do recognize that it's really not possible particularly when you're dealing with such emotive stories so I wanted to try and put that emotion back in and the sense of engagement and the caring about the individual you know I almost want to do a kind of family history approach to these people rather than a big data history approach because that has its place too but I don't want to tell those stories I want to tell stories of individual people and what happened to them so I suppose yeah I love that thank you the sense of it being like a folk tale that that sort of crept up on me as part of that process. One of the things that I really enjoyed is that you tell us well, first of all, in the very first chapter, when you compare Kramer to incels, I don't think, right, Gemini? It's like, I don't think we've ever seen it like that. And yet you back it up. But every story, you know, when I'm thinking of the 13 trials, I thought it was going to be, I mean, they were individual trials, but I thought, you know, this story happened here and then this story happened here. But what you did for us was you connected it. You showed us how the influence of one person went on and on and on. And then we have an intermission. And when we get to the intermission, I personally was like, huh? Like, I just, I felt like confused. Like, why are we stopping? But we were, really weren't, right? Even though we weren't going back to demonology, there is still this continuing, continuous, uh, this flow. Did you realize that was happening was that intentional that you wanted it to flow or did you just go oh wow look this is really flowing like on its own bit of both actually so I had the sense that these stories were going to be very similar all of them different in different historical circumstances and contexts and you know some of them are about men as well as women some of them are about you know they're about people who are persecuted because of economic circumstances or sexuality or whatever so they're, they're all different from that point of view but I sensed increasingly that I was telling the same story over and over again, and it's a story of scapegoating and persecution, which themes itself around magic. So they, they did, I, I, yeah, I always feel the best books that I, I have written write themselves in, in some way. And this felt like, the, you know, the, the stories found connections between each other, and I would keep noticing, oh, hang on, this is exactly the same thing, isn't it? You know, this one is happening in 1480 and this one is happening in 1940. But look, they're saying the same things. And I thought, I felt surprised, I guess, at how similar they were repeatedly. I'd sort of expected it. But you know how when you imagine something's going to happen, but it actually does happen. The sense of, of, of satisfaction and yet surprise that happens there. That was really the process of writing the book and just wanting people to notice, as I had, that these are 
really important themes throughout human history. People get persecuted because they're associated with magic and it can happen in all sorts of different ways. And those different ways, you know, the differences are important, but it's also like the same story over this 700 year period. And I think, you know, even before um, you could have found the same kind of stories, you know, they go right back to, to the early middle ages, whatever you want to call it, the Anglo-Saxon period. Um, they do go on before the period of the, the the period of the witch trials, you know, which we think about as the period of the mass witch hunting, fifteenth to eighteenth century. But they most definitely go on afterwards as well. So I wanted to draw attention to the fact that there is still a witch hunt going on, really. Was there one particular trial that really like you really felt more for, or that you really connected with more for whatever reason? You felt sorry maybe for the, that person more than the others. I think the best Clark one um, is probably one of the saddest. The one I was talking about earlier, you know, this woman in Civil War, England. She's a single mother um, and she'd always been portrayed by previous historians as an old woman because that's the stereotype. You know, she was an old crone. She was an old this, blah, blah. She wasn't actually. When you look at the parish register for her community where, you know, baptisms and marriages and, and burials are recorded, there she, she has an illegitimate child a few years before she's accused. And you think, oh, well, come on, that's that's an important part of her story, isn't it? Let's tell this story. So she was this, this you know, quite young woman, probably sort of middle-aged woman. Um, and I went back and I found her her baptism and her sister and her father. And I'd started to see her much more as an individual than as this representative figure. And she was also disabled. She had only one leg. And we don't know exactly why, but I speculate in the book as to how that might have happened to her. It just seemed that this was a person who had had almost no chance. Her mother and some of her other relatives had been accused of witchcraft before her. So she was already in a position of real vulnerability. And then you know, she's also disabled. And then she also has this personal sexual history that her highly judgmental community um, draws attention to. And they, they start to persecute her for, for those reasons. And I just thought, this is so wretched. Um, and throughout the course of the book, there, there are people who are backed into a corner in that way, that they've started off being the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is always, you know, always gives, I think, writers and readers as a chill because that could be us. That could have happened to us. It's no fault of the individual. It's just they, they were there and this happened to them. And I think she's one of the, the examples of that. But I did like the stories as well, where people fought back. I don't think Bess had much opportunity to fight back. Um, but the first story that I tell, the, the one that we talked about with, with Heinrich Kramer as the, the inquisitor um, in the 1480s in Austria, the woman who he accuses, Helena Schäuber, and she fights back. And I was really delighted to find that story. I, I sort of knew about the trial. You know, people know about Kramer as the author of Malleus Maleficarum, perhaps the, the medieval hammer of which is the witch hunting manual but this woman who he accuses fights back and she goes and gets herself a lawyer and and she turns the trial around on him so I thought there were inspiring moments as well as moments that I felt particularly sad for the victims and I tried to balance those throughout the book I didn't want it to be just a history of then this poor person was accused and then they died <laughs> and then this poor person was accused and this terrible thing happened to them because it's important to to 
to register all of those, I think, along the journey. But it's also important to, to find people who stood up, who were lucky, who escaped, um, because it's not it's just not a gloom fest. It is a story of people resisting as well as people being victimised, I think. So uh, those two stories I particularly liked. But to be honest, I found all of them fascinating and I learned so much writing it. You know, I moved all the way from the Middle Ages in Austria, right the way through to Pennsylvania in the 1920s and London in the 1940s and, and you know, all over the world and, and Lesotho in, in Southern Africa in the 1940s as well. And those were communities that I knew relatively little about. So I just learned a lot and I loved all of the stories and I felt for all of the people and I want the reader to feel for all of them too. And, and just to have that sense that this could have been you, this could have happened to you. Um, and there's still, you know, a good possibility that, that that you are being looked at in ways that that are uncomfortable, that are difficult, and and that you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be being discriminated against. You shouldn't be being looked at in that way. You're part of this long history of of discrimination and and persecution, and it's okay to feel that. I think I, I wanted readers to feel as well as think, if that makes sense. So where I felt something, I hope they will too. As you were writing this, do you was there ever a time where you felt the witches themselves, and, and I mean this metaphorically, but also as a witch, kind of literally felt the witches themselves kind of speaking to you or like guiding the way that those stories came out? Because it's almost like, not ghosts, but it's almost like you're you're channeling them for us. That's really nice too. Yeah, I do think, I mean, I'm quite a rational sort of person, you know, I'm an academic and I go on evidence and da 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 and I, I'm the person you would expect me to be because of my job. <laughs> Yet, <laughs> at the same time, I do think that there are stories that want to be told. Um, and, I, and I do think when you go into an archive that, that you, you do sometimes feel led and you can't explain that. It's, it's partly intuition, I suppose, you know, as a historian, you kind of know what you're looking for, but it can't explain those discoveries when you, you don't know what you're looking for. Um, and a document pops up and, you know, it's a record of a, of a baptism or it's a record of a, it's a piece of a trial record that, that you haven't previously, nobody's found, nobody's thought to look for. And yes, I do feel connected to them. I, I can't quite... I wouldn't quite like to pin down what it was, but I do get the sense that they would like their stories to be told and that they would like to be recognised. And, you know, who wouldn't? Who, who Somebody in history who's had something terrible happen to them, which is just a crying injustice. <laughs> you think people should be angry about this. Of course they would want that, wouldn't they? I think another thing that I really enjoyed about the book is that while they may not have called themselves witches, some of these women were healers. Some of these women used Christianity to heal, again, like the Pennsylvania Dutch. We, we, we had a whole discussion on uh, hexmeisters. I think we always get this idea that everybody brought to trial was not magical. So I think the idea that you also show that side, that's okay, they were not witches in the sense that they were signing the book with, this, with Satan or anything like that that they were witches was that also intentional or was that just something that came up when you were researching that it turned out some of these people were magically inclined I think I planned it from the start really because I wanted magic to be a thread that runs through the book 
but they are very they are connected with magic and witchcraft in very different ways aren't they so you know you get some people who are spiritualists and theosophists you get some people who are faith healers including christian faith healers um you get people who are pagans in the in the modern contemporary sense of the word uh you get all sorts of people who are drawn to to magic in different ways so i wanted there to be this thread joining them and even where they would not have called themselves a witch they were very often called witches by others. And that was, you know, that was the thing that happened to them. They were labelled as witch. And that sort of drew out the witchiness from their other activities for me so that I could see the thread connecting them with people who might have been considered witches in, in the formal, you know, let's put you on trial in inquisitorial court sense, or people who might have called themselves witches in previous times. So I think that they are all connected as, as witches. But what you think about the word witch might change with each story, if you like. You create that thread clearly, and it's something that I think every reader will see as they go through it. And you take that thread a really long time through a lot of history, was there a part, and the three parts in the book are, are sort of three different sort of historical periods, was there a part that impacted you sort of more strongly? Was that sort of beginning time or was it the more modern stuff? Like what hit you the hardest? I think it's it's always the early stuff for me, really, because that's where I started being interested. And I can't get enough of those people's stories because they lived so long ago and they had so little access to the kind of advantages that if we're lucky, we enjoy now. You know, literacy, education, um, the opportunity to travel, the opportunity to be heard in, in different ways, the sense of confidence that that, that can bring. So I, I do feel particularly for those people, I think and and that was the book wouldn't have existed without that heart to it that was where it started but as I went on I became increasingly surprised and concerned and and shocked often actually um at the ways in which you know that idea of the witch still resonates with people and people have been persecuted so so part one is is basically the early modern period in the 15th to, to 17th centuries essentially part two picks things up in the 18th century and we move forward and I was quite shocked by you know the 18th century is kind of proverbially the the era of reason isn't it the enlightenment um it was really shocking to find that that people were still being accused of witchcraft in that period and they were just the people that you would expect on the whole so uh, women primarily um and then you know as I moved on into the 20th century things became more recognizable to me but it made me think again about some of the you know I knew quite well some of the the cases that that I wrote about the the spiritualist medium Nellie Duncan for example who was accused of uh, under the witchcraft act an 18th century witchcraft act she was accused in London during the second world war and I kind of felt I you know I sort of know that story but when I really looked I I didn't think I did know that story I felt much more Sorry for Nellie, who, you know, lived in difficult circumstances, a perfectly ordinary Scottish girl who became pregnant very early in her life, was driven out by her family, worked in a factory, suffered from very poor health, um, really had a really difficult life and, and turned to spiritualist mediumship, partly in order to make a living as well as because she had a 
sense that she had a calling to that um, and then you know was was picked up and accused of witchcraft and I'd come across that story of oh she's a fraud you know that's what she was so you know she deserved to be on trial and then when you look at it the other way and you think well actually this is somebody who is making a living this is somebody who believes that they have some abilities to contact the spiritual world is it really fair to accuse them of fraudulence what is really going on here so I felt sorry for those people too and when I started to talk about the um, the colonial history of witch trials uh, which covers some of the American cases so we talk early on about a, um, a story from the 1620s from Virginia where a, a colonist woman is accused of witchcraft and then of course we talk about Salem where it's Tituba or Tatabay as I've called her in the book, a, a Native American woman who's accused. The more I looked at those stories and then I carried them on into the present. So I looked at some African leaders who were accused in Lesotho in, in the 1940s. The more I thought, you know, there are just layers and layers and layers of injustice here. Whatever the real story was, these people don't deserve to be rounded up and, and executed. Again, what is going on here? So it, it made me... Whilst I, I started off in the early modern period, having always felt connected to those people, I found that the modern stories increasingly touched me too and made me think, well, yeah, this is terrible, really. We are still doing this. We're, we still live in this persecutory society. And to some extent, I think it's got worse over previous years. So I became very interested in that and felt like that was a really important part of the story, that it was always facing forward to now if you like. It was always topical. Okay, we got to go into Stormy Daniels because it is the part of the book that I, I didn't see coming. I don't know about you, Gemini, but I wasn't, I guess she's not a blip on my radar. And I, I'm, and I was trying to think, did I know this stuff about her? Like, did I know that she read tarot cards? Did you know Gemini? I feel like I don't No, You didn't know. Like, I felt like I didn't know any of that. So I, I was like, Oh my God. Like I thought it was just fascinating. So, um, but anyway, you talk about Stormy Daniels in the context of, obviously, the Donald Trump presidency. What about that story call to you uh, to include it as opposed to other stories of modern witch hunts in America? It was actually Trump himself. Um, so, you know, as you know, he uses the word with a phrase witch hunt a lot. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to deal with this in the course of the book because it's one of the first things that, that readers will think about. You know, they will think, oh, hang on, people are still talking about the words witch hunt. What does that mean? How does that relate to the stories of the past? And, you know, my conclusion is, well, it doesn't really. Um, you know, he may present himself as the victim of a witch hunt and so may others in the course of that chapter and previous chapters. But I wanted the reader to think about whether that was really right or not. And then, you know, like you, I did not know that Stormy Daniels was a tarot reader, had this paranormal TV show, thinks of herself as a medium. I didn't know any of that. And when I discovered that, it just made so much sense. It just felt like this is, this is one of those stories that's waiting to be told because it has so many connections with the older stories. You know, once again here, we have a story of a powerful man and a woman in conflict with each other both of them claiming the identity of the witch in different ways. This, is, this has to be told. This is where the book has to end. So it was one of those things where it, it suggested itself for different reasons because of the use of the word, well, the words witch hunts. But then it turned out there was this other story that was actually perhaps more important to tell. One of the things that was really powerful to me about sort of ending on that story 
is one of the themes that I think you talk about throughout each trial is the relationship between misogyny and how these witch trials occur. And I kind of, it kind of called me on my own bullshit when you end with Stormy Daniels. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even, I didn't even know about this woman. I didn't even know. And so not even to have it just to be about like, okay, the modern usage of witch hunt and whether or not somebody is using it fairly to describe their own persecution, air quotes, Donald Trump. Um, but also as a reader, as a witch and as a woman to sit there and be like, oh, there was my own misogyny in my interpretation of this. And to have the details laid out and be like, wow, I am not I am not immune to propaganda. I am not immune to exactly the same stuff that created the witch trials, that created this book, the history that you're telling us. I am still a part of it, even if I am not a part of it. Yeah, I think that's very insightful. And I felt the same. You know, I didn't know that either. It wasn't until I looked and really had to pick at the details that I found that. I thought, oh, hang on. Um, and I do think that's important. You know, I don't, I don't, it's not a book which says about the accusers, oh, these just, they're just terrible people, aren't they? They're not like us. Actually, I hope it says, actually, they're not terrible people. They may very well have done terrible things and, and persecuted others unfairly. But they, they were not on the whole monsters, I don't think. I think they were people like us and they were subjected to propaganda, as you say, um, and conspiracy theory. So the, the, the conspiracy theory of, of the early period being, you know, there is a there is a, a secret sect of witches and they worship the devil um, and we have to root them out of our society. So let's have the witch trials of the 15th to 18th centuries and we'll get rid of Satan's people. You know, and if you have that being pumped out to you every week in church um, or you have books being published by university academics oh dear people like me um or, or you know um clergymen people who your your whole society teaches you to respect well what are you going to think you're going to think um you know that terrible thing that happened to me actually it could have been my neighbor doing it to me I think my neighbor she could be a witch um and it, I don't think it's really any different I think we are encouraged to see the world in in the shape of these big narratives and to demonize people literally to, to look at others and say um you know well you're not like me are you you know you're a wicked person and that can apply to accusers as well as the accused so yeah I do think it's a book that I hope it pushes people as it pushed me in the writing of it to really look hard and see whether it is fair to look at groups in our society and see them as people who we might scapegoat. I think we're encouraged constantly to do this. And things like social media haven't helped. You know, there are, there are increasingly many, many different ways of communicating with each other, which we can use for good or ill, um, just like the early modern printing press. And, you know, now social media has come along. It's, it's kind of that new technology, just as, you know, there was a new technology of printing in the 16th century. And what did people do? Yeah, they published some of the great 
great works of literature, but they also publish witch hunting manuals. And I think we're just doing the same thing now. You know, the internet brings us all this brilliant stuff. I'm talking to you today because of it. Hooray. This is great. It's wonderful. You can talk to people all around the world. That's a wonderful thing. But also if it's spreading conspiracy theory and it's spreading witchcraft accusations, which it is, including across parts of the world where hundreds of people are executed as witches every year. Well, you know, you've just got to think about that, haven't you? Is that an essential part of the human condition? And is there anything we could do to stop ourselves doing this? So I was going to ask you what legacy you want this book to have. And I just feel like you, that was perfect. <laughs> wow. That. Yeah, that. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> That's what I want. I mean, I'm not sure that we can do anything about it because I've now spent enough time looking at history to think, hang on, this has been repeating itself for at least 700 years. Um, that's a lot of conditioning to break, isn't it? But if it just prompts people to think a little bit and step back a little bit from some of those narratives, I would be pleased with that. Yeah. I think it's a big the, ask, isn't it? Though yeah. It's a very big ask. <laughs> I think the framing of the book for me also really drives that home because you're right. Like we, we think of everything in terms of a big narrative. This is a big story. We are characters in the narrative, but when you actually take the time to really like, okay, this is a person. Here's how this person was a person just like you. It, it can kind of snap you out of that idea of, okay, well, I'm just telling a big story about how history happened. Like, no, we're all, li we're living history. We are the people in the history. And so let's look at them for what they really are and not what the story told us. There we go. That's it. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah, I think it's really important, isn't it? It's kind of hard to do and it's time consuming to do. Um, and you find yourself feeling uncomfortable with it sometimes because you also feel like, but I have to make judgments about things. How can I make judgments about things without demonizing people? But at least if there is a discussion about that and then there is a sense of valuing the humanity of other people as individuals throughout history and in indeed now then I think that can only be a good thing no I'm just one of the things that surprised me and I hate to keep going back but again I mentioned I have taught the crucible and when I picked up this book I was not expecting to find myself in it right I am Latina and um, usually these these books are all filled with people in Europe that are not from, and then you, you mentioned that Tichuba, because Tichuba has changed in history, right? Uh, and you mentioned that, how she's changed culture and race. And then you said, you know, she's Native American, which we're like, yep, that we've, we finally come to that, right? Like people have stopped saying something else. And you're like, you know, Arawak. And I'm going, okay. And then you said South America. And I went, wait, what? And for the first time, I was like, I'm in the book. I'm in the, Latina's in the book, you know? Uh, so it's not just you're going to read things. You're going to say, oh, I know about this. You know what? You don't. E even I've taught King James the first when I've taught Macbeth. Actually, even when I teach Othello, I bring him up because I want to teach kids that Shakespeare, you know, was smart. He wrote about things to stay in favor. So and they and they love stuff like that. You know, kids just they get excited when anything that's, you know, what? What do you mean? Which is what? So um I think that even if you think you know some of these stories, you don't. And I think that's a wonderful thing because 
this is uh, to me this is the only history i need right now of of witchcraft seriously because i've never seen it told like this like gemini said they're tales but at the same time you don't just step back you've said this right you've put your own feelings into this and it comes through so it, you've i was surprised to find myself in a sense in the book but i felt like i already had through the stories of these women so that no matter where you're from i think you can see yourself and empathize. And again, they weren't all women, but as a woman, I'm going to see myself mostly in the women. Um, so just wanted to say thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Know. you. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so, so pleased about that. And I did try and make it the broadest history that I knew how to do, really. I think there are other ways that it could be broader. You know, I, I could have written a global history, but I don't think I'm ready. <laughs> and I'm not sure that historians are ready to do that but I think it will come there will be a discussion about the way that magic operates all the way around the world in loads of different cultures that presently we may not know how to write about if we're kind of you know part of the sort of Anglo-American historical establishments if you like but it's just so important isn't it to try to go beyond that where you can and notice where people may have come from somewhere different or they may have had a different background that you didn't expect them to have and occasionally I found myself thinking you know am I allowed to write about this is is this this isn't my history this is somebody else's history is it okay to talk about this but I decided ultimately yes it was because if I didn't do it there was a whole broad slew of history that wasn't being told and it was better to try to tell what I could and then what I hope will happen you know I really hope people read the book and they'll think oh like you did you know oh this is my history and they will then go away and research it and write it and more things will be discovered, you know, in, in my case, you know, more more witch trials possibly or more discussions of magic and witchcraft between people from different cultures. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be a great legacy of it as well? I would really love to see that. And I really like your sense that, that you found yourself in it. I'm so pleased. I just want you to know, whatever you do next, I hope that you reach out to us because I I want to talk to you for hours. I want to talk to you for days. I want to come wherever you are and, you know, uh, sit down and just have a drink and just like talk for hours and just, you know, hear everything you have to say. So I hope that people will stalk you after this in a good sense on social media, buy her books. <laughs> I just realized what I said and I'm like, no, not the bad way. Um, because... I think what you're doing is really important work, you know, um, and it's not something that everybody's willing to get their hands dirty and, and, and do all this investigating. Is there any any hint you could give us about what's coming next as far as books for you? Well, yes. No, no, that's fine. Yes. I, I yeah, I, the first thing I think will be a history of um, the rest of the people involved in that hunt in Eastern England in the Civil War. So Best Clark's neighbours, if you like, all the other women, primarily women, it was a very, very misogynistic hunt in which in some cases the people who were accused in individual village were 100% female, which is actually quite unusual. It's normally more like sort of 75 to 90%, which is clearly bad enough. 
But there was something peculiarly misogynistic, I think, going on in Eastern England in that period. I want to explore that a bit more. Um, and then, yes, there are other stories I want to tell. I don't know what shape they're going to be because I want to keep I want to keep reinventing the story. It would be easy to go. There's this witch trial and that witch trial and that witch trial. And you could go on like forever. You go for another hundred years with that. Um, but I want to find new ways into them. And I also think it is worth people looking out for those kind of globalizing histories. Um, you know, I know of a couple of scholars who are working on projects that really could turn into something really exciting like that. So I just think that this, this has got so much more to say, which is having this, this kind of cultural moment, but it does go on. I think it's been going on for a couple of decades now, and I think it's only going to get louder. So I hope people will I, just go and write your own histories. <laughs> go and research your own histories. Brilliant. You know, it's it's in a, yes. What I'm going to write next is important to me, certainly. But what are you going to write next, people listening? What are you going to write next? I love that. I love the dichotomy, I guess, between like you're an academic and you're doing historical research, and you're also getting on the podcast and being like, no, you do it too, hmm. right? <laughs> I, you've talked about like academia can be kind of stuffy. It can be kind of like everything has to be done correctly. No, let's all go research. Let's all go find our own connections to the history. I think that's such a beautiful, I don't want to, I don't want to say such a beautiful ending because I don't want to stop, but I think that's kind of the message, right? And what I would love for our audience to come back to us and say, hey, you know, I was inspired to research this. I was inspired to research that. You'll, I, we're going to put all of Marion's stuff in the doobly-doo so you can go to her website, et cetera, et cetera follow what she's doing, read her other books, but let us know how you can be involved, right? Where, what story impacted you? What connection did you make? Where did you find yourself in this book? Thank you so much. I love you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I love doing these. I love doing these because it does feel like, I, you know, if I can just say to people, look, go to your local archive ask your grandmother <laughs> yeah. any of those things I just think it's so important and so valuable that, that professional writers don't own this stuff it's for other people too and it's other people's stories so yeah I really mean that yes people go and research <laughs> you heard it here folks go do it <laughs> thank you so much Marion for joining us it has been an absolute pleasure for our audience I'm going to put a little music in between and then you're going to hear Scorpio and I discuss our particular review of the book a little bit more in detail. So if you don't want any spoilers, go read it and then come back and listen to the second half of the episode. Um, Marion, again, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Welcome back, witches. If you are here, then you have just listened to our interview with Marion Gibson about her book, Witchcraft, A Story in 13 Trials. And now we're going to talk about our relationship with this book. So I'm obsessed with it. And <laughs> I feel like I need to go pick up every book this woman has ever um, written. But yes, the book that we're talking about is Witchcraft, A History in 13 Trials. Marion Gibson came out actually last month, January 16th. So if you've gone to a bookstore and you've seen this kind of popping out at you, I hope that you have 
and maybe you've gone, ah, do I want to pick this up? If you're a witch, yes, you do. If you're not a witch, yes, you should. So why? Um, I think the most important thing here is, and we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, is that, you know, we want to build community. And whether your background is the same background as these women or not, this is our community. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you heard us talk about is the fact that, you know, when you think about trials, you think about, oh, yes, innocent, innocent Christian women, and they were all prosecuted and blah, 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 blah. Well, these women did not deserve to be prosecuted, but some of them were absolutely magical. They were witches by our sense, by our definition of the word. They were witches. So these are your sisters. These are the people that not necessarily dead either, because she does bring us up to the present. And I definitely want to spend some time talking about Mm-hmm. one particular one. So we're not going to spoil the, this in the sense that we're going to tell you the stories of these women. But I think I do want to talk about, I guess, some of the things that she does that really made me feel like I could see these women, like these women mm-hmm. were me or that we were part of a community. So if we start with the very first one, because part one is all about origins. So she takes us back as she said the name of the woman, Helena Schuberin. Schuberin. What I loved is that this trial is important because of the man who did the trial. Now, first of all, she got off. She got lawyers. She was educated. She did good. Yeah. She had money and she had not just education, but a Christian education, which means she could throw back at him what he was trying to do. Right. He was trying to say all these things. And she's like, yes, but... Unfortunately, though, and she mentions this in the book, because of that, he just took this when he lost that trial. He was like, okay, well, then I got to get better at this. And then he wrote The Malice Maleficarum, which is The Witch's Hammer, which a lot of us know. Hopefully people have read. I'm going to be honest. I've read bits and pieces of it. I've never read the whole thing. I've never read it and have no intention of reading it. Oh, I think it's interesting. I'm so this is a tangent i'm not reading anything written in old english my husband is really interested in demonology and like loves to read old english demonology stuff to me in a scottish accent because that's the only way that you can understand that shit i'm not reading it it's impossible i will read a historian's analysis of it i'm not reading old english (laughs) so what i'm hearing is that one day we're going to have a witch table talk Uh, with mr gemini and he and i can discuss demonology 100 that you can do an interview and i simply won't come it'll just be you and mr gemini talking about demonology all right this is not going to happen now i'll have to talk to mr gemini separately He's going to be, he's going to rub this in my, oh, I was on your podcast. I was on your podcast. I did demonology on your podcast. No, no. Well, anyway, if you are interested in learning about demonology, let us know. Yeah. Like send us a message on Instagram because if this is a thing, I would like to discuss it. It's just, I'm not going to lie. We have so many things to read. And then I have personal books that I want to read that unless I'm doing this for the podcast, I'm probably not going to get into demonology. So yeah. yeah, we need to know if that's something that I need to do. But anyway, let's get back yes, to the book. To the book. Um, so yeah, so one of the things that's interesting or important about her case, aside from the fact that she wins so beautifully, is that unfortunately, like I said, it just spurs this guy on. And I mentioned in the interview, she does compare him like the incels of today. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I felt a connection 
to the trials yeah. because we know it, whether um, whether or not you're going through it personally, but you've at least seen it on TikTok, right? All these people talking about how, you know, men are saying Andrew Tate on social media, right? Mm-hmm. How he feels what women should be. And this guy, this Kramer guy, Heinrich Kramer gives the same vibes. So anyway. 100%. The other thing that she does in this book is that, you know, so you think when you've left this woman, you're done because now you're going to um, the king delights in demonology, the trial of the North Berwick witches. And you're thinking, okay, so now we're going into something else, but we're not. Every chapter will connect to mm-hmm. the chapter before it and how the influences of demonology, even when we break from demonology, the stage has already been set because of these earlier trials on what a witch is, what they should be looking for. And even if the courts are no longer using these texts and saying strictly, this is what a witch is, it it, it kind of is. It's in your mind. Like you said, you didn't realize the misogyny that was in us. And so you read something and it's the same thing. They don't even realize that they're using demonology when they're saying we're, we're, we're not using demonology. We're doing something else. And of course, there we go to King James the Sixth of Scotland, King James the First of England, which is somebody who is somebody I have taught, and I've actually taught about this. Now, about him and you know writing demonology books and all that yes. other stuff. The case here is about a, two people, Annie and Gilly. And the thing is, this I also saw myself in this one because Annie, by our standards, is a witch. Mm-hmm. by modern 2024 and i can't believe it's already 2024 um actually she's a lot maybe she wouldn't consider herself a witch maybe she'd be more like an hexenmeister mm-hmm. right she uses prayer she uses uh poetry right but it's all religious christian re- religion yeah. to heal people so you know but if you look at the fact that she was saying things and using magic she's a witch what were you going to say? You got well, my, my brain just made a connection and it's bad and I'm upset about it. Um, All right, so we're talking about a Christian witch. And one of the things that you'll see throughout the book is the relationship of Christianity to these sort of things. And, and just looking at that first section, talking about like Kramer and King James and the way that we create these demonology texts. Marion said something really insightful in the interview about like, Okay, well, your your pastor or your priest is up there telling you, like, witches should burn in hell. And all of the people that you've been told to trust are telling you that, like, witches are bad and we have to exterminate them. And my brain just went to, it's like evangelical Christians who are being told, if you are not an evangelical Christian, you will go to hell. Right? Like, this is <sighs> gross. She also said in our interview that these people weren't, like, necessarily monsters. They just made really bad choices. Yeah. This is this is a story of people who truly believed that they were like saving other people's lives. Yeah. Truly absolutely. believed that these women, if you got rid of these women, it would save people's lives. Yeah. And we're watching it happen again. Right, we're watching it happen again. We're absolutely watching it happen again. And it's it's so heartbreaking when you hear, you know, I teach high school people and it's heartbreaking when I hear them talk to each other because yeah. I don't bring up politics or religion. 
So when they, I hear them saying, you know, I don't want to talk about politics to each other. Like they don't want to even engage with each other. Mm -hmm. Like before the bell rings, they're on their own doing their own thing. And I, and I heard it where a kid was like, I don't want to talk about politics. And why do people have to bring politics into it? And I'm like, because people are getting hurt. Yeah. You know, there's a sense of community that they're lacking, right? The, the fact that they don't have the ability to have like a civil, calm conversation with each other about things that are so impactful to their lives right. feels exactly like the kind of environment that leads to what we read about in these trials, the scapegoating, the persecution, the alienation. It's the same energy. Right. And maybe we should um, jump to the later ones just because... Yeah, do you want to talk about Stormy Daniels? Because I want to talk about Stormy Daniels. <laughs> okay, so before we, because this is all the way going towards the, the end of the, of the book, book, but just because, no, there's absolutely nothing here that I want to spoil. Agreed. I will tell you this, as somebody who has read about King James, there's stuff here that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. As somebody who has spent so much time going to Salem, um, actually working with educators in Salem, like... I learned things here about the Salem witch trials that I had no idea about. So when we recommend this book because of it, it's not like, well, I could skip this chapter, right? Don't skip anything. And also because like, um, like we said, she's going to weave it all together in such a way that it's going to make an impact. So yeah. yeah. So she, she's taking us up in time. So wait a minute, where do we start? What year was that? I don't remember. She uh, she says like the 1500s. Well, Heinrich Kramer was around 1485. Yes, yes, yes. So let's just say it starts around the 1480s and it comes all the way up. So yes. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's hit it with Stormy Daniels. So like we said when we interviewed her, I didn't think about Stormy Daniels. And then I'm like, did I know all this stuff about her? Like, I don't think I knew. Not a thing. And here's the thing. I don't think I bothered to learn anything about her because she was a porn star. I'm totally against him. And everything... This yes, th- there was an done. inherent misogyny in the way that we approached Stormy Daniels because of her profession. Right, yeah. which was happening back in the 1400s. Right. Yeah. And like yeah. like I said in the interview, I didn't I didn't even realize. I didn't even know until I read this book that I was participating in misogyny, that I was participating in propaganda. Like you don't you you don't always have the ability to step back and recognize where I think we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast though. And like this is one of the reasons I love reading witchcraft books is because it really does it it pushes you to think about things in a new way. Because you can't always see your own programming. Yeah. Right. You can't like we're not you can't crack open your skull and be like, oh let's look at the code. Like you're running a system. Your brain is running everything that's ever happened to you and everything that you've ever consumed. And we don't always consume everything critically. You can't. You can't consume every piece of information in your life critically. Sometimes you just have to eat a sandwich, <laughs> watch a TV show. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, I went through a lot of emotions reading this book and it was really driven home by that last chapter about Stormy Daniels because it's easy to look back on history and say, well, I would never have done that. I would never have been these people. And like, no, I kind of, maybe I wasn't out there like, you know, 
actively persecuting people, but I I hold within me beliefs that are not good. And I don't do them intentionally and I don't do them like maliciously. But when you have a book like this that that allows you a safe space to question those beliefs that you've held, I think you have to take that opportunity. Yeah. I would also like to talk about something related to the book, but a little bit tangential. You've talked a couple of times on the podcast about how important it is for you to be open about being a witch um, and how it you've had students and it's about like having representation. I think this book does that in a really powerful way. And it was very interestingly timed for me because I had a student tell me and I'm not going to give details, but tell me basically that she felt judged for her religion mm. as a non sort of mainstream religion. I, I don't, she would refer to herself as spiritual. I'm not going to impose any other terminology on her, but she felt judged for being a non-standard religion. And it made her not want to talk to another person again. And it made her uncomfortable about being herself and all I could think about was all the years that I would be like, miss, miss, are you a witch? And I'm like, don't worry about it. It's like, maybe, maybe I also have to be more loud. If we're not loud, we burn. Right? Which sounds like an exaggeration, but if we're not loud and I'm going to say like matter of fact about it. Okay. If kids this year found out that I had a podcast, what's it about? Witchcraft. Oh, what? That's all I'm saying. It has nothing to do with what I'm teaching. You asked a question. I answered honestly. Yeah. And we're moving on. Okay. Because it's not part of the curriculum and yeah. I'm not going to discuss it, but I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to go, oh, uh, yeah, I have a podcast. Um, uh, uh. You know what? Um, kids are nosy. They've probably already seen my Instagram. They've probably already seen that this yeah. is out there. You know, I'm not going to engage with them about it because it's not their business unless they come up to me and say, I am one, like people have said to me, and then their parents have said that they're witches, you know, like unless somebody comes to me, I, this has nothing to do with anything, but I do think that it's really important now and always when, while we still can to stick our necks out. Um, we community is essential and we need to be connected not just to our witchcraft community but to our local community but if you're listening and you feel like you can we have to be hannah schubrin helena schubrin yeah we have to be the kind of people who are like well i have a lawyer i brought a lawyer to the witch trial yeah because what again i not not spoiling these things there are other witches in that trial it's not just helena Right. She's not just protecting herself. She's protecting all of those women. And I think that Marion also does a really good job in this book of sort of demonstrating the way community plays a role in these witch trials and that it's not just one bad man. It's not just Kramer. It's not just, you know, the other people. It's the whole community there. And one of the stories that I really loved was during the French Revolution, where you kind of see that sort of both sides of it. Um, but like, if we're in the community and people know us and we aren't like being assholes, that's 
the first step. You right. can't, you can't hate, you, you can hate a thing you don't know. Right. You can't hate a person that isn't hate worthy. If you know me and you've met me, I'm okay. I'm a bad example. You can hate me. I'm, I'm very annoying. But like, if you've met a person, it's that much harder to hate them. Or not. I mean, I can think of several people who don't like me. <laughs> do they not like you because of you or do they not like you because you're a witch? No, because of me. Right. Because I don't shut my mouth about anything. You and me both. <laughs> so, and, and that's a, and that's the thing. I think that's another reason why we could see ourselves in these characters is that characters. Why did I just, I think that's why we can see ourselves in these people, these real yeah. people, the history of these people, because we're not people who are going to keep our mouths shut. Yeah. You know, about forget witchcraft about anything like i'm just and people find that annoying people find that that annoying when you point things out at the same time i think it's important what you just said that we just both realized is how misogynistic and how society society is influencing the witches today to go after each other or to go after certain people wow we really have to examine that yeah you know and I'm somebody who always says sex work is work, but somehow when it was Stormy Daniels, she was a hoe, right? Like yeah. what? And is it, I mean, part of it for me is like, well, it's the, it's the association with Trump. Yeah. Anybody. So I Trump. can justify my misogyny because I'm like, well, I don't, I don't fuck with Trump. So I'm going to use this tool that was given to me by society that I know is bad and is right. harmful. I'm going to use it against this situation because I don't like another member of the situation. I'm still doing the same thing. Which is exactly what these people and these former societies and current societies want you to do. That's how they get you to agree with stuff. Right. They give you the tool and they wait until you have to use it. Right. You know, and maybe I'm, I'm reaching here, but I was watching Swing Kids. We were reading Swing Kids in my class. And have you ever seen that film? I have not. Okay, so it's about, um, it's fiction, but Swing Kids existed. It's about kids in Nazi Germany, German kids, who go out to swing clubs. They want to listen to Benny Goodman. They want to listen, right? Like, mm -hmm. so one of them being, and they're just, they show them as teenagers, as kids looking at like nude cards or like topless cards of girls mm -hmm. and wanting to date girls and wanting to go to the club and learn the next dance step. And then somebody says they're beating up the, the Hitler youth are beating up a swing youth. So they run and they're like, get off of him, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Or you are, you know, derogatory term for Jewish people lover. And he, they look down and it's a Jewish kid. And they don't do the right thing. They only stepped in because they thought it was a swing kid. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, they think they're so progressive because they listen to music by Duke Ellington, right? And Gene Krupa and all that. But they're not. They're still in the back of their minds. Yeah, those Jewish musicians are cool. But what's happening here, uh, that's not our fight, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that we still do that when it comes to witches. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, oh, like, yeah. kind of like made me think of the same thing, like, you know, well, this is in our fight because this is happening to those people. And they're not, they don't really identify as witches. Like Stormy Daniels also didn't say she was a witch, yeah. right? So, but the term witch hunt was used by Trump. So 
against him, not her. Um, so yeah, we are affected by our society in these weird ways, even when we say, yeah, but I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't believe that. But I think we all have to kind of examine that because, and I thought that was really important. These, you're right, society, they didn't see themselves as bad people. They were just trying to do the right thing. And it's, you no, know, that fucked me up. I'm going to be fucked up about it for weeks. But um, Marion talks about the idea of like this binary thinking, right? That like there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And so much of life is not that. <laughs> so much yeah. of being alive is not that. But we have it imposed upon us. And as a person who was raised Catholic, right, there's so much catholic thinking that i still have to sort of peel out there's so much i joke like oh i like guilt and stained glass windows but like how do we unpack how do we release the connection to guilt and sometimes you don't realize and then there's the level on top of that which is that i'm not gonna yeah christian hegemony right like a lot of the things in our society were built on christian ideology so then it's imposed upon you even if you're not a practicing christian right right? a lot of our laws on the books come from christian theology Right. We can trace it back. So even like in the stories, oh, well, we're not doing demonology, but you are. We're not doing Christianity, but you are. And we, I said this to Marion and I say this to our audience. Seeing people as people is the first step to breaking all of this, because I didn't look at Stormy Daniels as a person. I looked at Stormy Daniels as a news headline. And so I said, eh, whatever, I don't care. Right. I didn't I don't I don't look prior to this book. I didn't look at the witch trials as a bunch of people. Right. When I talked about Salem, it wasn't me talking about individual people. It was like, oh, yeah, they, they killed some people. It was bad. It was a witch hunt. But looking at all of these individual stories and finding the, the ways that you relate to Helena, to Tichiba, to Stormy, to all of the women and men and others in between, finding a way to relate to a person is the first step to understanding that person. And if we want to be understood, we have to be people. Boom. We just ha- we have to be people. You just have to be a person. You can't be an ideology. You can't function exclusively on an ideology. You can't be, I'm going to be a swing kid, but I'm only going to defend other swing kids. We have to be people. And part of that is like being in your community, which, listen, I suck at. I don't like leaving my house. I have a lot of trust issues. Like, I don't like being out there, but I have to be out there. I have to be out there. I have to be like, yes, I'm a witch. Yes, I, I'm i a Hellenic. Yes, these are all true facts about me. So <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. This book. So why should you read it? If you're a witch, you legally I have to explain why <laughs> the you cops read it. will come to your house if you don't read it. Cops will come to your house if you don't. <laughs> Listen, we're joking, but which mean, cops happening in Pennsylvania? I don't even think it's done yet. I know. I I oh yeah, wait, tell that story on the podcast because I don't think we talked about it with Marion on the recording. So I don't know the exact details, but this woman who runs a medical f- physical shop, a witch running a witch shop, also does, you know, uh, tarot readings. Yeah, like they do, right? I don't think there's a shop that doesn't offer readings. Yeah. And the cops came and they were like, you know, there's like this old law in the books that if someone complains that you are fortune telling or whatever, um, you can go to jail. 
And she's like, are you coming as like a warning? Like, do you have a warrant? Like, it's just been this back and forth mm -hmm. with the sheriff's office and her. And she's gotten a lawyer and all this stuff. And she's still operating as far as I know. But this is happening now. Right? Over these old, why are they bringing this up? We know that witchcraft is growing across the globe, but especially in the U.S. Because right? that's where we, we are. We can talk about the U.S., they're already taking so many rights away from women. And witches are, what, the last stand? Witches were the healers at one point. I mean, now we go to doctors. But they still are seen many by many in the community as spiritual healers, as guides. And is, that, is this just a, a, a glimpse of things to come? I mean, would... Would it be safe four years from now for us to have a podcast and be teachers? We have tenure. <laughs> we have tenure, but I'm just saying. No, I know. Society sh yeah. is shifting. So do I really think it's going to go to that? No, but could it? Yeah. Anything is possible. So and one of the things that is a part of my practice is Hecate's Daphnon, which I don't know how to pronounce correctly. Okay. But you're supposed to do some kind of like service for Hecate and I have not been doing that recently but when I started what I would do is monthly make a donation to an animal shelter um, because Hecate is she dogs are one of her symbols and all I can think of now is that I should be donating to legal funds of witches who are in this situation if there is you know if anybody knows of like a GoFundMe if anybody knows of somebody you know I, I know that Monica had been talking about stuff, but like, is there an association out there who's defending witches? Is there an uh, an ACLU for witches? Because I want to support them. We live in a capitalist hellscape and we have to put our money where our mouth is. And I don't like saying that, but what is community care if not providing the resources for your community to be cared for? And the thing that is a resource in America right now is money. And, you know, it's so hard because people are being pulled in so many different different directions, trying to, you know, be part of so many different protests. We're not going to go into everything here, but it's a horror show out there. And I feel people, and now especially in winter, if you are uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, our winter has been absolutely insane. Yeah. Where it's been like a spring day and then it's like, okay, now we're in, <laughs> now we're in where, where are we? It's been so cold. I, you know, yeah. you can't even go outside. They tell you don't, don't go outside. So we're in a really weird place and yet we want to keep the fight going because it seems like no one is listening, but you have to keep going. So, you know, we know it's hard. We recognize that saying that and people are being squeezed tighter with money yeah. and the resources they have, which is their time, they're out there fighting the good fight. It's all important. I think this is the time when we have to keep, we have to choose something mm -hmm, and commit and commit. Right. I think if this book t taught me anything is that choose a battle and commit to it. If it's not with money, it's time. If you can't physically go out, you don't have to make calls, write, you know, um, ask people what they need. Do they need a press release? Yeah. You know, can are you a good wordsmith? Write a press release for people. If you don't have social media, can you open a social media for people? 
to like get more information through, right? So there's things you can do if you cannot physically go out there, but I think we all have to choose something and commit. And I think that's part of community, whether it's doing something for the witchcraft community or just for, like you said, people will see you as a social activist if that's what you want to go for. They will see you as something that's hard to hate you later if they see that you are trying to be on the right side of, of history. It's just such difficult times right now. So yeah, will this book make you feel good? Yes, I think it will. Yes. Because you will see the larger picture as a witch. I hope that we can look at more books like this. So yeah, yeah this is not something you're going to buy and use for your practice, but... But you might. <laughs> you might. You might. But, but I think that it definitely... You will see yourself in these mm -hmm. stories. You will have a better understanding, not just of where they were coming from, but what's happening now. And not just because she brings it up to the present, but because you will see similarities throughout with things that are happening. So it's a great read. She's also, it's also written very well. Yeah. You know, it's not boring. It's, I also want to say that because I'm not somebody who picks up a history book. Yeah. I like memoirs, but I don't like history books. And I thoroughly enjoyed this because, like you mentioned in the interview, they're like folk tales. They are very readable. Yeah. So that's it. We're trying not to give anything away. You got. I mean, truly, one. you have to read it. I don't. It's. Yeah. I don't care if you come out of it with the same takes that I do. This is one of those things that, like, if if we're telling you to read Gardner, you have to read this. Oh God, yeah. Just the more you know, the yeah. more you know, the more you'll be able to stand up for yourself and others. That's really what it comes to. Yeah. So that's why this book is important. Yeah. Wow, we got real serious. There's nothing funny here. There's nothing. No, there's not. There's not like a fun little bit. Well, you know what? Here's the deal. It's a. I'm in a weird place. Right. Like, yes, I'm hilarious, but I'm also a mother and a co-host of a podcast and a teacher responsible for the education of like a hundred kids. And it's really difficult to navigate your response, not your duty, right? What is your duty to other people? And I am one of those people. And I am certain that there are other people out there listening that are like me, where I spend a lot of time being very insular, being very like to myself, being very focused on myself. And Pluto moved into Aquarius on January 20th and it's made me rethink my whole life. <laughs> but it's it's very much, you know, we're, we're watching the world. I was promised hoverboards and flying cars and that's not the world that I have. And you have to take a step back and renegotiate sometimes. And that's what this book is for me. It's like part of my renegotiation. I think you can read this book and have a fun little time. Like I, I'm having a serious moment with it, but like it's a fun, it's a fun book. There are some fun, that first, for her to start with Helena Schubrin, I think set the tone for me of the book because you really can go into this book and have it be just sad all the time. Just sad, the whole thing. But, like, mm. I loved Helena's story. I thought it was fun. I thought she was a boss. I was, like, rooting for her the whole time. Like, the book is not depressing. The thoughts that you get afterwards, those are a little hard. You know, I've, I'm not really active on social media like I used to be. And I 
try to be less and less. Mm-hmm. I do like to read digitally because I I don't know why, but I just I'd rather do it on my phone. I read the news, try not to watch it, and yeah, I question everything though. I question why this person wrote it this way. What is the other side to this story? Mm-hmm. What am I, what do I not know about this story? What what news are they not reporting right. to report this? You know, I, I think about that a lot. So I guess my message is just be good to yourself. Maybe read this a little bit at a time if you if you're you're having big thoughts, you know. Yeah, yeah but, it's very much like a read one trial a week. Yeah, yeah. you could. Like, like sit with one trial. I would I might do that. Probably not this year, maybe next year. You should right. go through it again and be like, this week is Helena. This week is da da da. Um, and just kind of really sit with those stories and hold space. I see what for you're them. Saying. Yeah, that would be nice. That's not how we read it because we read it. Oh, because we're gonna do an interview. Yeah. But yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It is nice to just see, I would say a trial a day. Like I would read a trial and just go, all right. You know? Yeah. So yeah. So well, we recommend I'll have a, a Scorpio baby next year. So I'm need- having a Scorpio baby next year. I'm I'm doing a bit, but like, yeah, I'll have a Scorpio baby next year. So I need like a week for each trial. I can't read one every day. Okay. So because Scorpio's trying to manipulate me into having a Scorpio baby. I'm not trying to manipulate you into anything. I just think that baby bat loves, as we know, autumn. That's true. Baby bat is showing dark tendencies. Don't say that. Don't say it like that. Well, no, not like that. I'm saying, okay. Baby bat is showing dark tendencies. Baby bat is showing some goth tendencies. That's different. That's different. That's different. Um, I just can't imagine how much happier they would be than to receive a Scorpio sibling. I think the two of them would have a lot of fun. That's fair, but don't you think it would be ruining their favorite season to have to share that with a child with a child's birthday? Now it's about that baby. No, um, depends on when the baby is actually born. Actually, you know what? It could be a lot of fun because now instead of just whatever, it's just a day. I'm not pregnant for everybody listening. Not yet. Shut up. Um, I don't know when this is airing. To but... like the like the ninth of February. Like I need to be pretty pregnant pretty soon. <laughs> um, you, you wouldn't even know it by then. No, we would. Yeah, I would know like in March. Anyway, regardless. So stay tuned for the Scorpio baby. The happiness that baby bat. Can you imagine? We could do things together. Baby bat is thriving. Because baby bat will be older, and we can do things with the baby. Like it would just be amazing. And, and I love that for you. All right. And we'll see what happens. She crossed her fingers. That was, she was, what is, when I, okay, hey, sorry. When I say cross your fingers, when I say it out loud, I don't think of it as like, I'm hoping for something. I think of it as like, I hope not. But like this, I'm doing the physical motion. I'm like, no, yeah, this is me. Like, oh, I hope it happens. Yeah, I but hope it I happens. say he crossed, like, oh, he crossed his fingers. Like, that means, oh, I hope not. Do you, like, my head is doing a weird thing. Oh, I think it depends fish. on the question. Like, if you're like, um, I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow and I cross my fingers, I'm agreeing with you. I hope it doesn't snow. Right. But it, it's not always negative. I think right. it depends I don't know on why what my brain is for. doing this. What? 
English. I'm struggling with the English language. And I think at that point, we have to end the podcast. Yeah, because I don't know what's happening. So um, anyway. Thanks, everybody. You're amazing. Follow us on Instagram. Follow Marion on Instagram. You can find all of her information in the doobly-doo. Um, tell what us what's the like- doobly-doo. You keep saying that. The little box underneath, like the, the little episode description. Oh, okay. The doobly-doo is what people on YouTube say about like the YouTube description box. Really? Yes. Okay, so continue. Yeah, not I'm everybody, like, only nerd saying? people that I follow. Again. I'm like, I gotta ask. Go ahead. For those of you who are into D&D, you now know that I'm a big fan of Matt Colville. So in the doobly-doo, in the little description box will be all of the stuff for Marion, uh, where you can get the book. You should get it. We recommend it highly. We really liked it. It gave me an existential crisis, which I think is now like what we have to, all books have to give me an existential crisis for them to be on the podcast. Um, you're the best. We love you. Thank you to Kano and Moore for our amazing intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. <laughs>